Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. born and raised London. No, no, I'm from Wales originally. See, I thought you were, but then every article I see referring to you always refers to you as a London band. Yeah, well, it's because we all met here. We all met studying. What were you studying? We all studied music in uh, Westminster, bar Sam. Sam joined the band later, uh, after our first drummer left. Um, and he knows Steve from their hometown in the Midlands. Um, but now me, Jay and Steve all met studying and kind of made the band then. Where about were you from in Wales prior to that? I'm from a, a place called Raida, which is in the Eland Valley. It's the centre of Wales. If you put your finger in the middle of Wales, that's where I'm from. Is that kind of countryside or is that Very white? Countryside. Yeah. But it's like a, I'm from, Raida is a 2000 population town. This is very small, very in the country. Very beautiful. It's, it's fucking beautiful. I, I love it there. But when was the last time you were back? I actually spent the fir- all of the first lockdown there because I kind of saw how it was going and my, my partner got stuck in Italy she was there for the she was there before the lockdown actually happened and then got stuck there for the whole of lockdown so i was like i'm either going to be stuck in london in my flat alone or i can go to my parents be like they're they're sheltering so it's like at least i can go to the shops i can help out around the house do the garden um so yeah i actually spent like three months there in march which was really nice because the weather was great i got to just do some woodwork and i can be in the country countryside for for a while I could literally walk for I think I did like a 12 hour walk one day and I, I didn't Ooh. see a single other I didn't see a single other person it was really good I guess a little bit creepy though that's kind of like a little bit American werewolf in London <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> what sort of uh, woodwork stuff were you doing well when I got out there my friend was um, building a house at the back of his house for his grandparents to live in that sounds really sketchy, but <laughs> <laughs> they run like a hardware store there. Because he built like this house from at the back of the house so that they can move in there and he can move into the house they were staying in. So he had all his offcuts for these really nice, like really nice wood from this like the house he was building. I was like, 
I'll take him. I've got literally nothing else to do. And on the RSPB website, they had like designs to make bird boxes. And I was like, I'm going to make a bird box because why not? <laughs> so I started making bird boxes. And then that, that gradually went to like planters and just loads of garden shit, basically. And like I made a table. I got super into it because it just gave me like something to do all day. Do you still do it? No, not really. <laughs> I was like wanting to, but it's, it's different. Like there I had like loads of space and like my, like my dad's tools and shit. And then to come back here, it's a bit like, ah, oh, yeah, I've got to buy all the tools. I've got to have like the space to kind of do it. Yeah. I, I guess it feels a little bit more like more of a countryside kind of. Yeah, totally. Activity. <laughs> would you ever move back? Yeah. I've always, I've always had it in my head that I would move back there someday. Just because it's a great place to, you know, I loved growing up there. So it's a great place to, to be. Nice place to raise a family. So I thought, I've always, I've always had it in my mind that I would, I would one day get back. I guess if you're raising a family is where you want that kind of space, don't you? Yeah. And house prices are fucking way cheaper than here. Well, London's crazy though. Yeah. <laughs> London <laughs> is. London is its own, its own beast. I guess it's, it's kind of good to do that for a while though and kind of get in there and experience. I mean, you've got so much culture at your fingertips when there's not a lockdown going on. Yeah. I mean, I've always had this conversation with people like, why do you live in London? It's uh, so expensive. It's all this, it's all this. I'm like, normally I can go and see a band any night of the week at a number of different venues, get all these great museums for free. If I'm bored, I can literally be like, I'm going to go to that museum. I've not been to that museum for a while for free. I'm going to go. So, and that's why I've lived here for uh, 12 years, 12 or 13 years now. And that's why I'm still not bored of it because I love it. There's literally so, like there is just so much normally talking pre pandemic that you can do every day, and I love that. So, and and I've travelled as well. I've seen like so many other different cities. There are plenty of other cities I would live in definitely, but I just and again, like all my my friends and my friends on my base are here. So yeah, I'm not sick of London yet. Well, you were over. Were you living in in um, Italy for a little while towards at the end of last year? Um, no, so my, my partner had a exhibition on over there. Because when it was still pretty bad here, Italy had tackled it really well. They could have events and they could have more people gathering. So my, my girlfriend does a project called Gender Project, which is like a series of portraits. She did Gender London in 2019 and Gender Italy in this year. So in October, she was able to do the exhibition. So I went over there and it was like normal. Like everyone was pretty strict, but you could do the normal things because they had been so strict with the rules. Not like here, like when they started wearing a mask like eight months into it or however many months it went into it. you forget. You can still go into a shop in like the middle of May, the middle of June without a mask on, which now looking back feels crazy. Yeah, I watched that. that, We did that um, blinding lights cover during lockdown and I I looked back at the video and like Steve's just in a shop without a mask on. I was like, fuck yeah, it's like, why is it? Why does it take so long to implement like this most simplest thing to that stops spreading a virus? And it was literally only mandatory like a few months ago. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, Italy was fine. We had a great time over there. But almost like the day that we left Italy to come back here, they put it back into a lockdown. So we timed it really well in that we could actually have a successful exhibition and then come back to lockdown in England. <laughs> <laughs> what city were you in over in Italy? Uh, that was in Milan. Was that like the first time that you travelled somewhere else, excluding going back to Wales in 2020? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first time I got on a flight. God, yeah, yeah. Again, you know, like you know, on on your Google Maps when it gives you like a roundup of the year, like same as like Spotify, give you like 
I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I've, I've not. I do have Google Maps, but I've noticed that, that everything seems to give you a roundup now. Like the amount of emails yeah. you get in from like anything. My Monzo gave me a roundup earlier. I'm just like, <laughs> that is the most depressing thing I want to look at in my fucking 2020. It's my Monzo account. <laughs> um, yeah, but Google does the same thing and on Google Maps. And like, I've seen like the year before, it's like you visited like. 26 different cities and like you traveled this amount of this amount of miles blah 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 but it was all like because of touring and i was like that's kind of cool like it's kind of sick and yeah this year it was like you visited three places (laughs) (laughs) um fuck that's so depressing (laughs) traveling have an impact upon creativity in any way maybe not traveling per se uh i think if you're touring a lot which is which has always kind of been our downfall. Don't you think it's why it's always, it always takes us so long to put out music? Is when you tour a lot, you don't particularly write. I mean, bands do, but we don't. <clears throat> when you tour a lot, when we tour a lot, we don't particularly write. When we tour, it's like all we do is concentrate on touring. Whereas we write much better when we're set out to write and like we're not going distractions. We're like literally just in London, and we we like we treat it like work. So it's like we go to, we're going to the studio to to write whereas like some bands when they tour like they they write in like sound check but you can only really do that if you're headlining yeah. and like or people like write songs on like the bus with like the guitar but it's like you can't really do that with our kind of music it's like we've got we've got to be in this small room really loud we've got to have like the time and the, the like the relaxation to be like all right this is working let's try something else go back and back back so i think it's, it's different for everyone but it's yeah traveling Touring can hinder our writing. Have I strayed away from the question? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but traveling inspires music. Yeah, just isn't great for writing music. Because I, 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 yeah, I get like ideas and stuff when we're touring for what I want songs to be about. So I guess it's good for that sense. But it it sounds like you almost do you need you get inspiration from the experiences, but then you need a period of steadiness and the kind of chaos of traveling to be gone before you can translate it into something exactly yes yeah. hit the nail on the head there how was the start of like lockdown and stuff for you then for writing because that probably was quite a transitional period as we kind of went into this new form of life mm. yeah so that was yeah i got to wales because we because just before we left we were supposed to go south by southwest and then that that like that that stab when we realized we weren't going to that and then we realized oh the you did a massive funding push for that as well haven't you yeah like our fan base fucking amazing joined all that they like they got us there basically we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to go without them <clears throat> so we were yeah everything was done visas done flights booked and then when that didn't happen we were all so gutted and like so disheartened we were like all right let's just and we had a new album like ready to go we just recorded the, we just recorded the second album in january all the live stuff anyway we, we had to do like some overdubs so after that big like ball and like fall back down to earth we were like okay let's there's not much we can do let's just be in lockdown but that in turn meant that i started writing some solo stuff again which i haven't written for like fucking for years like probably about six or seven years i've not picked up an acoustic guitar and written like soft sad music before so it meant i got to do that and i wrote like i basically wrote a whole album in in wales like revisiting like old ideas and old stuff that i used to play so that, i'm a big country folk fan like that's what i fucking grew up playing and like loving so it was nice to go back to be able to do that and I do have that that I want to do something with, but I want to re-record it properly because it's just like shitty garage band demos, which I want to do something with eventually, but just need to find the time now. 
find a studio and find the right person to produce it. Do you find writing on an acoustic guitar kind of inspires different melodies and structures and stuff? It's different. I've never, I've never been able to write a crow song myself, like musically wise, because Steve is such a Steve. Steve's guitar is such an integral, like integral part of Crow's sound. It's like it's almost weird. I, I and I can't play guitar like that at all. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's always me singing over the top of what the band create. It's how we've written Crow stuff, and it's kind of what, like I, I write lyrics a lot, but writing Crow's music has always been. We create a song, create some music, and then I figure out melody and vocals over the top of that. Yeah, and I and even like trying to even doing those covers that we've been doing, like the Blinding Lights cover and all the covers we put out at Christmas. We did all that remotely, so we did all that separately through GarageBand, sending the file back and forth, which is something we would never have done before. Even to like demo songs or anything, it's like we're all like pretty technologically inept, so we've never (laughs) thought of doing that but now we can do that and now we've like started to demo that way which is a real game changer and shouldn't have taken us shouldn't have taken a global pandemic for us to do that definitely shouldn't have taken as long as it has for us to be able to do that but i'm glad it's happened because yeah it's meant that we can actually well steve can like write an idea at home you can fucking record it quickly with some shitty drums and send it over to me we don't have to be in that room or we can go into that room more prepared and make the whole process a bit quicker, which is nice. Have you been into the room with any of the stuff that you have kind of demoed over GarageBand yet? Yeah. So we, before this lockdown, we we were rehearsing again and we were writing again. And I think we, well, we all the stuff we were coming out with was like, because the second album, which isn't out yet, is, we didn't realize, but it's all like, it's flat out. It's like, there's very little respite in it. It's all very high paced. The first album's kind of like that to start with, though. The first kind of half of it, at least. Yeah, but the second half kind of mellows out. Whereas this one, there's like there's only one slow song on it, and we kind of didn't realize that, and we like we're like okay, fine. But then, so we've started writing this. So I guess we might make another EP after this one, like once we can start the ideas again. But it was all like really super moody, really slow, kind of dozy, trippy, psychedelic, but heavy. Um, and it was really great. Like we were all like, this is fucking cool. Like we're playing this, like not intensely fast, <laughs> angry music, but it's still very crows, but it's like a, a nice progression from, from our just faster, punkier stuff. So it was great. And we were really fucking loving it. And then, yeah, we've just not been able to do anything with it since, but we've got the ideas, we've got the ideas recorded so we can revisit them when we can. I'm talking about like the next thing like after this because I've I've lived with this second album for a year now and I've... I feel like that's what everyone's doing right now though isn't it we're all looking so far ahead we're just trying to look past what's going on at the moment <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> do you still write in the the same way where you'll kind of go into a big research hole and then channel that into a song yeah that's always like my go-to if I'm a bit stuck because that's what I, that's what I've done for so long I had been trying to do it a bit differently second album weirdly you've just reminded me i got i wanted to try to do two, a few different things in because that was like my always my go-to and it works and like I, I really enjoy writing that way but the second album i actually tried a few different things one which I, i've actually just completely forgotten until now and that's how long ago it was but um so i had this idea i was like all right i got gifted i got given like a, a deck of tarot cards as a gift for my birthday i was like i've got and i've got an idea it's like i'm gonna do I'm going to do a tarot reading for a character of, because I quite often like write in, in write about characters. I'm going to do a tarot reading for 
this made up character that I'm writing a song about, write a song based on tarot reading that I'm doing for this character. And it came out really cool. I was like, wow, that's fucking weird. I've never done that before. I don't even know how to read tarot very well. I'm like very, like, I'm not like particularly esoteric or anything, but <clears throat> I was learning how to do it from like just out of boredom and wanting to know how, how to do it. And then I integrated that into writing a song about the character. And it's cool. And it came out really like, I loved it. It was like just something different. And I'm glad that it came out of that. But then people can't hear it yet. <laughs> so I'm fucking, yeah. Um, Have you given anyone a real reading, like a real person? No, no, no. Nah. No, no, no. no, no. <clears throat> no it's just more for myself. My girlfriend does it quite a bit. And I've had a few done before just because it's interesting. Like it's, it's such a cool, cool ancient art that people who do it. It's just, I love it. It's because it's, it's again, it's storytelling, which I'm, and it's, it's interpretation, which I love the most. And it's like, and it's so poetic that it's just super interesting to how people interpret things. It's a little bit like songwriting, the way we interpret music. Everyone kind exactly. of prints themselves onto it and then has their own reading of it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So yeah, but that's just like one way that I, I tried to change it up on, on the second album. And more, I was like, yeah, I quite often write about other people. And like this, the second album actually, because oh, when we were writing it, when we were, we were writing it in like the summer and end of uh, summer of 2000 and 2019. That's when we like wrote the bulk of it. So literally it was just Brexit. All Everything that was happening was Brexit related and the shit show and like when Parliament was the shit show. And I've, I've never been one to like write about the state of like current affairs or anything for the sake of writing about current affairs. Because like, I feel if you don't do it well, it comes off contrived. It's, you know, I, I've just never, that's never where my writing ever, ever has ever taken me. But this is the first time I've ever been like forced to write about something. So I was like, it was all that I was taking in, all that was around me. And I was like, oh, this is actually driving me insane. So I have to put something down. And like probably the title track of the album is going to be a song called Garden of England. Yeah, that's like just straight up Brexit song, which I didn't ever think I'd, I'd write in Crows. Um, but it's definitely like some some of my favorite lyrics I've ever written and definitely my favorite lyrics on the album. And again, it's like, I, don't want, I didn't want people to be like, oh, they've gone like down the political route or like, they, oh, Crows have like 10 political stuff. Because it isn't, it's still like, it's still me, it's still my writing. It's still not, it's still not like <clears throat> obvious like what I'm writing about, even though it's quite obvious what I'm writing about. But <laughs> I felt I literally just like had to. I was like, I actually don't want to write about anything else because this is, all that's in my head or even if I try and like get out, like get off social media to get away from it. It's like, it's the only thing that's happening on TV and the newspaper. I can't fucking get away from it. And now it's happened and no one gives a shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now I've actually fucking left. No one cares. So if I can, the album might come and be like, oh, he's fucking talking about Brexit. It's like, it's done. Fucking get over it. <laughs> I guess I'm quite intrigued to think about how Brexit would have been received was there not a global pandemic going on in the midst of it? Yeah, right. Fucking I feel like people know. would have probably taken a little bit more issue. I mean, it's sparked off in the music industry the last week or so with all the visa shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're just going to see more and more shit come up. And I guess, but it's a news cycle, isn't it? It's like, it's, it's whatever the news want to pick up on and highlight is what is going to be outrageous for that day. I like the, the visa thing or the fucking... The, the, the freight of bananas got stuck at Dover or whatever. It's it's gonna it's just gonna keep cropping up for fucking years now. Yeah, had it fucking not been a pandemic, would there have been that fucking giant Brexit party? Fucking the streets lined with people, like a few people. I mean, it probably would have been. 
which is very sad. But we were in France. When was it? It was like one of the last gigs we would have played, but we were in France and we were watching on the TV. Oh, I can't remember what the event would have been. It would have been like when Brexit was made official or something, one of those like milestones, which I've fucking lost count of now, but it was like one of the, like the, my, and there was like loads of people outside parliament, like waving the flags and shit. I'm trying to think when the fuck that was, because we were, we were in France, so we would have. It doesn't feel like that long ago. I kind of, I have a vague memory of what you're speaking about. I'm th- maybe 2019. Yeah. Ah, oh, fuck it anyway. But yeah, like there were fucking people celebrating it then. So I don't feel, I definitely feel like some people would have tried to have a good time with it. Do you feel more numb to it now? No, because it's still annoying and it? it's still there and it's still going to fuck with, even if there is like a, a visa situa- situation sorted for touring musicians, it's still going to be a logistical nightmare to tour. It's not going to be like us. We, we literally would just pop over. We would, pop, we, would, we would go to Holland for one gig sometimes because they paid us so well over there and they actually, because they pay, they pay musicians well over there and we could make money in merch. It would be worth us driving to the tunnel, getting on the, getting on the tunnel, driving to the middle of Holland somewhere, playing a festival or playing a show. Like we'd, we'd often do it like for one show. I know it's not very earth friendly, but <laughs> like we, weren't, we weren't making any money here. So we would literally, we could we'd just be able to hop on the train, go over there, drive for a few hours and we'd be in Holland, play a few shows in Holland, Belgium, in France. Uh, come back and we'd be able to survive as a band for months and like that was basically like how we were making any money it's like when we tour the UK we don't make any money we would make a bit of money like on merch and everything but comparatively to touring Europe that was that's that's the only reason Crows has been a band so long is is the fact that we had a quite good following in Holland and France and Belgium and Germany so we could go over there get paid quite well whip up some funds come back struggle over here be able to pay to do the record and now that's not going to be possible, like at all. In any way, I mean, it will be possible still. Like it will, they will have to do something. It's such an income for the government, but it's, it was just so nice just to be able to just go over there. We fucking hop on the, the train. Oh, I'm getting so antsy. <laughs> I wanted so so bad. It's just going to be different now. Like fucking waiting waiting at the at the tunnel for the Burger King. The the line is always like thirty people long because the train's always delayed that little feeling like I don't think I'm ever going to feel like the same about that ever again. Ah, God, it sucks. But it is what it is. Is is the reason they pay artists better there, is that to do with just the kind of cultural approach to it? I mean, the the venues there get like subsidies from the government and stuff that they don't really in this country, right? Or what's the kind of... Yeah, I think that's a big thing, especially in Holland, like all the... and, And France, especially. The government's actually put money into the arts and culture especially to keep smaller music venues just like, so they've got bands coming through all the time. Like they had to have these really amazing, like really well built um, venues all over the place. And they just want touring bands to come through them. So they work with local promoters, bring these bands through from all over the place. It's like quite from the UK because bands want to go there. Like it's fun for us to go. It's like, yeah, we want to go fucking play in a different country and paying as well means it's actually going to happen. Whereas like, ah, I don't know where bands come here. It's like, you've got to come here. UK is the shit part of your talk. You've got to come here. You've got to get paid really badly, have a shit rider, probably not get anywhere to stay, probably not sell that much merch. And if you are like a new band or a very, very small band, it's going to be very difficult for you to get a foot in if you haven't got like a hot record or a good promoter. But then everyone wants to do it because like Britain does have a musical history. Yeah. Yeah, heritage and history, which is the important thing, which is why people want to do it. And people feel they need to do it. How long do you think that can last for, though? Because heritage doesn't work forever. Well, yeah, especially if it's a distant memory. Exactly, especially if you don't if you don't 
put any money into future heritage if you completely rip the heritage or the the new budding heritage from the ground then you're never going to replace the the heritage that you fucking strive on so oh yeah i don't know it's all fucked (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's been the theme of the last two years fuck it probably been like the last four years yeah (laughs) it's mental isn't it and it's addressed by everyone and and it's and it's proven time and time again especially now like there's like all the numbers coming out about how the arts contribute to the uk economy but still no one listens still i mean like they they listen with the cultural heritage fund but again that had like very specific criteria and a few people got it it's probably not going to be left to last and keep those venues in a, a workable state for when this actually finally ends because they'll just they'll just be constantly paying catch up for Having been closed for a year, what I don't want is just big corporations who have managed to survive this purely by being big corporations, just then swoop in and buy all these venues and completely take the the soul out of them. But I mean, that's gonna be the same with everything. It's gonna be the same with pubs. It's gonna be the same with with most stuff, unfortunately. But I don't know. I'm saying really negative. I'm really sorry. I'm not normally this negative. It's fucking. It's because it's Blue Monday on Monday. It's that time of January. Normally, everything is pretty shit anyway. So it's hard it's to extra- find. I feel like it's hard to find light in these times sometimes. <laughs> but it's not. It's like it is. It really is. But like, I and again, I shouldn't have anything to play. Like, I'm. I've just moved house. I've got a nice house with my with my partner. I've got a nice cat. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I should have been starting. I should have been opening a tattoo shop with with my best friend Elliot this 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 month. But is that the same guy that does the band's march? Yes. He's done all of our artwork from from day one basically. And he got offered to take over his tattoo shop that he mentored at um from his mentor. She offered it to him, Delphine. Uh, and he said yes, but only if I came on board with him. And I thought, well yeah, why not? Looking for something else to do. I mean I don't tattoo, I just do all the boring managerial shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to say I own a tattoo shop. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we can't open until. Just to come back to what we were speaking about a little bit, because I was just thinking about it there. I think I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is the approach in Germany and like Holland and the places we're speaking about there, or France, where you know their kind of approach to culture and music is a little bit better? Is that not because they appoint someone who actually has a background in culture as the culture secretary, whereas here we tend to just seem to give it to like an accountant or anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh yeah, well we can go on forever about about the about jobs given to unqualified people in government here. Um, it is a bizarre approach, it, though. Like when you actually think about it, just giving people yeah, who seem to be have it's, absolutely it's different it's Mental, isn't it? It's, it's literally just like I know someone who sometimes we owe a job, like well, like yeah, they need a job, give it to them. It's like well, are they experienced at it? No. Are they your friend? Yes. Okay, fine. Give it some. In any other industry. I mean, that does happen a lot in the music industry. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that is, that's, really? pretty much how, that's pretty much how the music industry works, yeah. <laughs> it's very much like, yeah, but I made me this job. It's like, okay, give it to him. Maybe not. They maybe they maybe a bit more qualified, but it's definitely like, give it to my mate. That definitely happens a lot. But but the music industry is not the fucking, not the entire country. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of um, turn in Europe and stuff, did Steve get arrested the last time you were in Europe? Or not too long ago? Or Germany or somewhere? No, that was quite a while ago. That was... was that? That might have been like 2017? There was a festival in, in Hamburg called the Reaper Barn Festival. It's a bit like 
the Great Escape here or South by Southwest. It's like a a big industry festival where people come and see like the new bands and blah blah. blah. Like, it's a good thing to play. You got to go play it to like be seen or get like a German agent. That's why we went over. We drove to Amsterdam, obviously the day before to cut up the journey. Stayed in Amsterdam with a friend. Got really really wasted. Um, <laughs> drove to. So Hamburg next day. We literally like got into Hamburg, got to the we got to the venue, but we drove past it. So we were turning around to drive back to the venue. And a police car pulled us over and he was like, looked at Steve, like got him to get out of the car, took him away, and then he came back to the car, looked at me in the window. He's like, he's like, you see your friend? He's like, he's very stoned. And I was like, Oh, it's like, no. It's like we were stoned last night. And even Steve was like, No, like I smoked yesterday. Don't know why we said it. We should have just said, told them fuck off. Um, but scary German police didn't want to say fuck off. Took him to the police station. They were like, yeah, it's still been in your blood for 24 hours. So it's still technically a, a DUI or whatever, driving under the influence. So they held Steve. I drove the, no, the policeman then drove the car to the venue. Wait, the policeman drove your car? Yeah, because he was like, has anyone else been smoking? I was like, I've not been smoking. He was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> So he drove, he got in the car, drove us. He was like trying to make jokes the whole way. He was like, oh, I've never driven this like on this side before. And I was like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> um, yeah, drove to the venue. We like unloaded, set up everything on stage because we were supposed to be playing like half an hour. And like he still wasn't there. And I finally called him, got through to him, and he was like, they, they need a thousand euros fine to release me or bail to release me. I was like, what? Okay, that's yeah, it's, it was mental. We we're like, all right, we're lucky we had just been on tour, so we had like just about a thousand euros in the money box in the, in the car. So the police came with Steve, we literally like handed them a thousand euros in cash, and they're like, there you go, like he's free to go. And I was like, can we have like some kind of record of this transaction, <laughs> anything? And they were like, Oh uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And, the, and they got like a, a, it was literally like a business card. And they wrote something in pe- something in German in pencil on it, gave it to me, and just walked away. <laughs> that sounds pretty sketchy. I, yeah, I was like, I think we just got hustled, but I mean, there was something we could do, and we played the gig, and the gig was really good. Uh, and there's some funny story. I love that story. But yeah, it's brutal. They literally, they, they weren't even from Hamburg. They were like Frankfurt police, but they'd been brought in to like as like extra police for the weekend. So they definitely just put the pockets in it. Like, it's crazy. It's a thousand euros as well. It's, like, That's a lot it's, of money. it's just mental that we actually had a thousand euros. We never have any money. And it's like, I mean, that was literally like a whole tour and merch worth of money. And that wasn't even when we were very big as well. So like, that was like a lot of money. So as we were like, yes, got a thousand euros. And it's like, all went to get Steve back. <laughs> <laughs> how's, um, how's your stage fright now? You were kind of, but, uh, pretty bad for stage fight for a while right or yeah I, don't, I feel it never really goes away it gets easier to manage and it's annoying because like no one else in the band gets it unless it's like a really really big gig like I've, I've only seen the other guys get nervous a few times and it's weird because like normally they're just like yeah come on let's go or like they'll, they'll be able to like eat a big meal before we go on like I, I just don't do that it's, it's always still no matter what size venue you always still like want to throw up get really sick I've, I've managed to not I've managed to quell the, the sickness now that I normally I used to always have to throw up, but thankfully I don't, I don't do that anymore because it got to a point where I was like, I can't do this every gig. 
because we toured so much. So I was like, this is bad. Like I can't do this every gig. So I like, I just forced myself a few times to like not do it. And then I was like, okay, fine. I'm over that. Like, cause it's a mental thing. It's completely mental. Um, and once I was able to control that mentality, it was nice to stop being sick. But the, yeah, the, the, the fear never really goes away. I, I don't think it ever will for me, but oh, yeah, it's weird. And like, it's weird talking to other musicians about it as well. And I'm just like, nah, just, it just doesn't bother me anymore. And I think it's some, with some musicians, it goes away. Like after like a certain amount of touring, you just kind of, it just goes. But yeah, I don't think it'll ever truly go for me, but I'm glad I'm not sick for every gig anymore because it's not a good way to go. <laughs> Borderline bulimia is not a very sustainable lifestyle. No. Does fear play a role in any other part of the creative process? Like kind of outside touring and more so like involved in the songwriting and the, the you know, producing a record or whatever? Mm, I can say not, not with songwriting, but definitely with, yeah, like I said, producing record and doing vocal text as well is where I think that that slots in. So yeah, when, it, when it's time to do vocals, I will quite often try different things like do, if I can like jumping jacks or literally go for like a run around the block, do like some boxing to fucking get that energy level going and get like your blood going. And then the, the takes are generally much better. That if you just come in like super dry, like oh, I'm just gonna sing in the booth, like it never really works. <laughs> and you can like it's weird how how much you can notice the difference listening back to both of them. But I guess yeah, when when I'm doing vocals, I always try to get into the mind frame that I'm playing live. Like again, like when when we did the last album, the first album, I did all of the vocals on on the stage at this venue called the Moth Club in London. It was cool because it was like I was on stage. So I kind of had that, like, I'm playing on stage. The, and I always get a bit nervous when before we record anyway, because it's like, I want to be good. So I do get that kind of that weird anxiety stage fright before doing anything like that. So yeah, it definitely plays a part in getting a good take on a record. Do you still turn the lights off when you're doing the takes? Yeah, it just helps. It's just better. We did the whole second album, because we did the second album in the same place. We did the first album. And yeah, we just, just works. So we just did it again, having a few beers, but having the right amount of beers that you're loose, but you're not sloppy. <laughs> Two or three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit at the end of the last song that we've kept in there. It was like, oh, we were like, fucking try and try and try and nail this fucking take. It was the last song. We were like, come on, we do it. And like, I can't remember if it was Jill or Sam that kept fucking up. It's like, that would be highly contested, I'm sure. But it's funny because like Sam was like, I think Sam bet Jit that he did fuck up this take, but you give him a fiver. And then it like doubled, and then like double nothing, double nothing. So like kept going up and up. I think got to quite a substantial amount. And I think we finish it and then we're like, it was the right way to finish. Everyone was correct. But then they didn't believe each other that it was the, it was the right way to finish. So it was like all of us like scream at each other at the end of the take, even though it was completely correct. But I, th- I think we've left it in there because it was quite funny. <laughs> it's interesting as what you, you know, what you were saying there about you turn the lights off to kind of get yourself in that headspace, maybe have a couple of beers. Is it harder to do that on stage when there's so much going on? Like when you're recording a vocal take, I imagine you can completely focus on trying to get yourself to that place. But when you're on stage, you kind of have to be aware of everything. Interesting. And again, this is something that's changed over time as well. Cause I used to have to get really pissed before we played just cause I thought I could be, I thought that's what I needed to get like super wild and get crazy. But yeah, thankfully I realized that I don't need that. And I can, started playing a few more gigs so uh, I was like oh yeah this is great and I can focus a bit more beer does shred your voice it's annoying because like, it does 
I want to be drinking when we're recording, but like you can hear it now. Like I'm drinking a beer now. I'm talking to you, and I'm just talking to you. My my voice is kind of going a bit. Yeah, it just loses that like little thing in like the back of your throat that's good for seeing. So I actually can't drink that much if I'm if I'm doing something that I know I need to sound really good at, like it's a recording, even like recording a session or recording your vocals on the thing. Yeah, it's really annoying, but I can't really drink. I don't I don't like to because my voice just sounds like shit. But live, I can get away with it more because it's been more distorted. It's more stuff always sounds different when you have like a visual impact as well. So people are focusing more on performance and less on my voice. That's probably that's just the way I see it. It's probably not true. <laughs> probably people watch me like he looks great, sounds really shit. <laughs> but um, no, I don't know. It's different, and I I know like everyone else. Like I know Steve. He loves having a drink before we play. Steve's like the only person I've ever met that maybe not so much now, but plays better when he's stoned. Like he's fucking. It's like even better when he's stoned. I guess we all used to, but can't do that anymore. Too old now. The panic's in. The anxiety is there now. <laughs> when. Uh... When did you stop playing the guitar on stage? Pretty much just before we released that first EP. We were, yeah, we'd written like a few songs and released a few tracks as Crows before the first EP, but they were just like, it was somebody who were like, a, just still funny, I say, still like playing the the little circuits in London. And I actually broke my, yeah, I broke my foot, broke my foot skating. Ooh. So I played a gig without the guitar on crutches. And I was like, I'm not, again, I'm not a good guitarist. So like, I think all my guitar was doing was like muddying the sound, which is a pretty like dirty sound anyway, gritty. We realized, like, oh yeah, this gives Steve's guitar its rightful place to to shine through and just be Steve's guitar. So I was just always a rhythm guitarist, but and it also meant that I could like do more shit on stage and not hide behind the guitar because I, I very much used the guitar as like a yeah something to hide behind and like it's annoying because I I'm so I'm such better with, uh, such better form without it and I, but as soon as I put the guitar, I'm like you can like look at the guitar, you can turn around, be looking at your guitar. It's definitely like a a mask, which isn't very interesting to watch, especially for a frontman. So there are people, there are frontmen who play the guitar really well and look good doing it. Well, I really didn't. <laughs> so good riddance. Fuck the guitar. <laughs> Do you feel more confident without it? Yeah, weirdly. I don't know why, but yeah, I definitely do. Do you think you're more vulnerable on stage or in your songwriting? No, I don't give a shit on stage. I love being on stage. It's fucking. I mean, I. And again, all that that stage fright stuff. As soon as I step on the stage, as soon as I say the first line, sing the first line, it all goes away. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm here. I know where I am. I'm comfy. I'm happy. Like it all goes out the window. So it's, I never, I never feel hugely vulnerable when I'm on stage. Before I go on stage, I feel vulnerable. But as soon as I'm on stage, it kind of all goes out the window. And I'm like, yes, this is fine. I know I, 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 can, I can almost go on autopilot for now. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. There could be no one in this room. There could be 10,000 people in this room. It's completely fine. Um, songwriting, though, definitely, yeah. Definitely feel vulnerable, especially sharing ideas to the guys, like new ideas. I second-guess myself quite a lot, which I shouldn't do, but I think it's just because I need reassurance and need... I'm a needy person, apparently. Who <laughs> says that? No, 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 myself. I just need, I need, like, I need something to be like, yeah, that's a good idea. Or like, yeah, that sounds good. Until I'm like, yes, this is a good idea. I was like, when it normally probably is a good idea, but I just second guess myself a lot with with vocals. So yeah, showing, debuting new stuff, new ideas to the band that for ideas we've been working on. That's definitely very anxiety inducing. But I mean, that's the, that's part of the fun of it. That's what being in a band's about, isn't it? How, yeah. Like having that kind of support network around you in a more direct way. Because even if you're a solo artist, you know you'll have 
people around you that help you, but it's not, it's not the same as having people on stage with you and you're all in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. Speaking about like vulnerability in the songwriting there as well, we, I mean, if we look back to the first record, as it progresses, it kind of seems to get more direct and a little bit sharper. Stuff like uh, Tired and Failed and things like that, you know, as you get towards the end of the record and Dysphoria. Was that always the intention for it to get more kind of exposed and vulnerable as it goes on and darker almost lyrically? Mm, interesting. Interesting question. That Silver Tongues is weird because we wrote it over the period of about five years. All the songs were like written really spread out. So comparatively with this new album where we wrote everything in like a really short space of time. Silver Tongues we wrote pretty much over about five years. Yeah, track order was definitely like a, a thing we thought long and hard about. And we basically like got everyone, everyone made their own track listings of what they thought it should be. And we kind of sat down and discussed like why we thought they should be like that. And then we collectively thought, okay, this is how it's going to work best. And then, yeah, that took quite a while actually to, to get the track listing, how it was. We definitely thought long and hard about it. And yeah, no, so I don't think we intended it to, yeah, it's weird, whether it's like vocal content wise or music wise, why it ended up that way. I think that, I think it was like, that's the way it flowed the best. And all of our stuff, like the first two EPs, we've always liked to have it so that the music flows from one, ta- one track to another almost seamlessly. I don't know, it's difficult. Yeah, I've not thought about that for a long time. But Does it come from the live set? What you're saying there about it flowing from one track seamlessly? And the, I mean, we were speaking about earlier as well, the way that the first half of the record is like bam, bam, bang, and then it kind of stretches out a little bit towards the end. Yeah, 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 true. And again, like, yeah, we recorded it live. We, the guys who recorded it, it's two guys that recorded us, Phil and Felix. Phil does our live sound, so he knows exactly what it's supposed to sound like live. And that's what I mean, we always try and capture. So yeah, I guess it's like a, like, that's like a nice addition. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a show. Do you, I mean, we were speaking earlier as well about the idea of, you know, these research holes that you'll go into where you'll study a topic really intensely. When you're writing the song itself, do you differentiate between what's coming from the research and what's coming from just a personal kind of more internal place? No, because they, they overlap quite often. I'll quite often have a subject matter that I'm, I'm liking right about, and again, whatever I'm feeling or something that's happening in my personal life at that time will kind of automatically get integrated into it no matter what, because I'll take whatever I'm writing about and apply it to a personal thing. So like the, yeah, the, maybe the words about what something is about, but the meaning behind it is actually something that's happening in my life. I, I quite often do that. There are quite a lot of songs that still, yeah, still probably not a lot of people actually know what they're actually about, apart from me, which I kind of like. <laughs> is that what draws you to the topic in the first place though? Like you're saying that they kind of match up a little bit and they line together as what's pulling you into research, that specific thing, a result of something that's maybe happening in your life that feels a little bit parallel to it. Or you can draw parallels. I don't know. Not, it's not necessarily. It's. I mean, maybe subconsciously, but they definitely always find a way to relate to something personally. So yeah, maybe it is a subconscious, a subconscious thing. But yeah, I don't think I ever do it very intentionally. It's just a nice by. It's a nice byproduct of it, I guess. Is that the same with like when you'll make certain comparisons from imagery? I'm trying to think what song. Is it Imperium, the one that's about, like, you? I mean, obviously Imperium's at that place in heaven, right? Is that the... That's actually a perfect example, yeah. So Imperium is, Imperium is like the highest level of heaven that you can reach. It's, and that's, I read, I got all that after I read uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, heaven. which is, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just one of those books. I was like, I want to read this book. Like it's fucking, it's long. It's basically, it's a crazy it's long po- poem that's written so beautifully and so amazingly well. And I read it all. I loved it. I was like, yeah. And just Imperium like stuck out to me. I was like, that's such a cool name, such a good name for a song. But then that song is a love song and it's directly translates to my personal life and, and with my partner. And it's those songs, especially that I get super emotional singing at the end of that song when it's really like pounding, like the last, literally like the last, the last bit where I'm singing. It's like, I'll still well up in my chest when I sing that song. But it's because that song's like actually quite a positive song. It's a love song, but it's, it's a positive love song, which quite often aren't, my songs aren't. And I still feel that emotion in my chest and like I well up a bit. And I love that because that's like raw songwriting for me and raw performance. And I love it. There's another song actually on the new album, which I wrote after reading. Um, there's a, a poet called Rupi Kaur. Wrote, read her book. Loved it, took loads of inspiration from it, wrote the song that then basically is, is about my partner and a love song, but also about the shit that she was going through. And that song, I can't sing without getting incredibly emotional seeing it. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, always, it always ties in something that I like to my personal life. Not always, but yeah, quite often. They're, they're, they're my favorite songs for sure, because they're the songs that actually I feel when I sing them, feel like so much emotion. I mean, that's interesting as well, what you're saying there about on the one on the new record, you're kind of writing about the things that your partner was going through. And that's the one that you maybe get quite emotional about. Is that a result of channeling someone else's vulnerability instead of your own and their kind of pain? Kind of, but also we've been together seven years. So like we are each other, like she is my life. Like we go through everything. We spend literally every single day together. So anything that she's going through, I'm going through as well. So yeah channeling other people but also i guess yeah it's it's my personal experience with it as well but it's something that we we've definitely gone through together where did um i'm, I'm trying i've been trying to think where it is in the first record what's the bit where you draw like, the comparison to the american drug cartels is that an imperium yeah yeah okay so yeah that that again is a line that's a line i've actually had for a long time before i wrote that song and it just fit in really well and it was like nine men hang from then by their necks from a bridge that I read in, in, in a newspaper article about a, a cartel who had killed a, a rival cartel and hung them from a bridge, like nine of them. And I was like, but nine men hang by the neck from a bridge. It was like, is a really fucking powerful image. So I wrote that ages ago. And then it just fit into the context of when I was writing a song. So I was like, and I'll quite often do that as well. I was like, I've got like pads and pads of lyrics, most of which are shit, but Sometimes there's like the odd one that's, that sticks out that I'm like, I love that line, but it just doesn't fit anywhere. I can't think what to fit it in. And then I can, I can dip into that, like that bank of lyrics and sometimes nick stuff if I've, if I'm a bit stuck for a line. And that was one of those actually. Do you make notes when you're researching? Not just like noting down lyrics, but noting down actual just pieces of information. Yeah. Yeah. I, I quite often save like, it's really lazy, but like save links and like, I have like I'll have like word documents that are just like pages and pages of links to websites or articles that I've found whilst maybe recently about something else. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like sidebar, take that, put that for like future reference. So yeah, I do that all the time. Maybe not like physically write down the notes, but yeah, definitely sidebar stuff for future investigation. 
<laughs> Just make sure you don't lose sight of it. Oh god, it's it's like I look at I look, look back at those word documents with links. I'm like, ugh, it gives me like anxiety. I'm like, I have to go through this like treasure trove of quite often quite sinister shit. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> 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 but I look at it, I'm like, why the fuck did I save this? <laughs> How long can you uh, can you keep an idea in your head? When you're writing, like uh, in the songwriting actual process itself, before it slips away, how long does it take before you have to get it down, or else it's gone? Uh very quickly, yeah. And it's and that's something I've learned the hard way. So I've like I'll I'll think of the lyric like when I'm out or like just walking. I'm like, fuck, that's a cool lyric. Well, that's cool. Like, oh, I'll see something. I'm like, that'll make a good lyric. Or well, that would like I can make something. I can make that into something else. And I'm like, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. And then literally, by five minutes later, I'll be like, I completely forgot what it was. So yeah, my note the notes on my phone are also full of one line random shit. <laughs> it's like I have like a few different I'll start a new one when the old one's getting like too full. And then I'll just keep ending that one and they'll be completely random. Like there'll be no sense, no continuity in them. But then again, they're like they'll that might be like one good line in, in fifty that I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm glad I wrote that down. Or I'm glad I remember that idea. Because yeah, I have to, otherwise I definitely just forget. When was the last time you looked through all of it? I was actually just looking at my phone in to try and find one for an example and <laughs> try and navigate the chaos. Yeah, and again it's mixed in with fucking to-do lists and fucking shopping lists of trying to get carrots and <laughs> what I need to <laughs> what I need to get from the shops. Um but no, they're good, like they're always there. I think the last one I did was uh oh, the thirteenth of January. Well that's today, isn't it? What day is it? Uh is today the fourteenth? Maybe? 14th okay yeah so yesterday oh yeah I did one yesterday that's good see I'm always thinking I'm like a rapper <laughs> <laughs> do you um, do you tend to look back through other stuff a lot I remember I think it was maybe a month ago or someone on your Instagram you were kind of looking back through all the old gig posters and stuff oh yeah I oh, know that's because yeah that's because I was moving and like I have so much of that shit that I'm really glad I do because it was I'm a, I'm a hoarder so I've, fucking, I've got like loads of shit like yeah or gig posters and like backstage passes or like wristbands and shit which time sheets what are they called set times set yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> god it's been that long <laughs> um and i'm really glad i kept a lot like I, i'm annoyed i didn't keep more because there's definitely I, there's definitely so much more that like i wish i just kept but it's just like you end up just like crumpling up and like folding and put it in your pocket and it stays in your pocket where it's touring for a few days until you put it somewhere. I wish I'd been a bit better and kept a lot more. I've definitely got quite a lot, but I wish I'd, I wish I had a bit more because it would definitely make like a cool scrapbook. But I think I will eventually when I'm old and sad enough, I definitely will, will scrapbook it. But, um, <laughs> the thing I've definitely got a big archive of is Crow's merch. I have like pretty much every single piece of merch we've ever done as Crow's in a bag in a cupboard bar maybe one or two t-shirts but um, I'm glad I've got all those because they're sick and like it's 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 really interesting to see Elliot's progression as an artist with the progression of the band from like from the, the very first t-shirt to, to what we're coming out with now is that it's it's really cool to watch I, I will eventually do a zine or something with all of that with the pictures of that zines are good for tours as well I have some of them on the merch desk. Yeah, yeah. We we did one for one of the first tours we did. One of the first big tours we did, we were supporting Wolf Alice. I made a zine with my partner. We both made one together. Yeah, it was cool. We just gave it away. It was nice. Like did like those like interviews with like friends who were like tattoo artists and photographers. 
little interviews with them in there. I had like pictures of crows on tour and shit. It was great. Loved it. And everyone really liked it. Should do that again. Definitely. Yeah. It's interesting when I think about it now that Elliot is a tattoo artist and does all your designs and stuff. Because if you look at the album cover and things, all that kind of occult imagery would work really nicely as tattoos for people. And you can kind of see where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that he decided to go that down that route because it meant that he can actually make some money from his art. <laughs> As most artists sadly don't. Um, but uh, he's always wanted to say, he's always been, I knew he was always going to be a tattoo artist. He like he loves it. He's like the most passionate person I know about tattooing. So yeah, it was definitely like the profession I'm glad he went into. Do you have any? Yes, a lot. A lot by him as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably only going to get more and I'm going to share a tattoo studio with him. <laughs> what tattoo are you proudest of? Or what tattoo means the most to you? Oh, I think that changes actually what means the most. I, I, I love more. And I've got quite a few from him that he's done on me, but also a few that he like got me as presents from other tattoo artists, which I really like. So, but I think my favorite one, he's, he literally just did my, the whole, my front of my body, my chest and my stomach. Whoa. It's a, bit, a massive heron. And I love it. It's fucking, it's, it's, he went through my nipple. It was, it was really brutal. It was like probably the most painful oh. thing I've ever experienced. I had to get like someone to hold my shoulders down because I, I couldn't sit still. But again, that was like, that was his birthday present to me for my 30th birthday. Pain. Pain. <laughs> but, but I love it. So it's, it's, it's great. It's like one of my favorites. It's interesting we're speaking about merch as well. I love the beanies you stuck out right before Christmas, kind of in the build up. <laughs> Was that, yeah, yeah. did you not have a fan make a beanie before, before you kind of brought them in? Was it based off yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Brian, Brian Longbottom, Crow's number one fan. Yeah, he made, he made one ages ago and I was like, that shit's quite good. He was like, yeah, you're never going to make them, so I thought I'm going to make my own. I was like, yeah, that's fair enough. I was like, fuck it, let's just make beanies, why not? And um, <laughs> oh yeah, the debate on whether there should be a burgundy beanie as well. That was, that was a big Crow's camp debate. And uh, what ratio of beanie we should get? And is the black beanie going to sell more? Is the burgundy beanie going to sell more? I think I was correct with the black will sell just a bit better than the burgundy, but the burgundy will sell. And I was completely correct. You need another <laughs> alternative for someone who doesn't want black. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. And I mean, there's not many crow's colors that can be really so. <laughs> Speaking about uh, Brian there as well, you've made a little bit of bootleg merch, haven't you? Of your own? Or made uh, merch of bands that you're a fan of? Do you know, do a, a Woody Guthrie t shirt? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I did that in lockdown. Again, because I was fucking, I literally did everything in lockdown. <laughs> um, my mom's got like a little screen printing set up at home because like she's an artist. And yeah, I was just like, fuck it, what am I going to do? And I love like bootleg band t-shirts, but like of bands who are never going to make any money off merch anymore, like who, who don't produce merch anymore. Well, how long has Woody Guthrie been dead? Yeah, yeah. And like, well, like Steve and Elliot have both got these like Sisters of Mercy t-shirts that they made. It's just like Jesus loves the sisters. And it's like, it's such a cool t-shirt. I was like, fuck, I want to do like something like that. And then I was like, well, I fucking love Woody Guthrie. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'm just going to make a Woody Guthrie t-shirt. Did you get into him through Dylan? No, actually, fucking, with Woody Guthrie, my dad got me into him and I would be on the, on the school bus going to high school with my tape player and I would listen to this Woody Guthrie tape that my dad got me on repeat. I fucking loved it. I don't know why. Like, again, because all then all I was listening to was like Slipknot, Corn, fucking Limp Bizkit. I was probably like new metal like baggy jeans, long hair. But I loved Woody Guthrie for some reason. And like, would be like, just re- would relentlessly listen to that tape on the school bus. 
So yeah, I've been at Woody Guthrie for ages, way before I was a fan of Dylan. It's interesting. It's usually the other way around. That's uh, yeah, that's cool. I know. It's yeah, yeah. My dad, he's yeah, he's a big fan. He get, he he got me into. If your mum was an artist as well, when was your mum an artist when you were growing up as well? Yeah. Did she kind of promote creativity in that way then? Yeah. Yeah, quite encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both my parents. My dad's a writer. He's like a, a playwright and a screenwriter. So they, yeah, they're always like, just do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy doing it, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, but they're always like very real about it. They're like, if you're going to choose a career in the arts, it's like you're basically choosing to not have the comforts and the pension and the wealth and the the easy way of life that you would if you choose a normal job, but you get the reward of being happy doing what you're doing. And yeah, I think that's always been really good advice on them. And having a sense of fulfillment as well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and fuck it, like I'm, I never have any money, more skin, but I love what I do and I've, I wouldn't fucking change it. So yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to have had that freedom and encouragement to just be told to do what I want to do as long as it's fulfilling and makes you happy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.